And uh, we'll just, uh, going to go down a few verses and be an encouragement to you. Something's been encouragement to me a lot lately on Sunday nights. I do enjoy slowing down just a little bit and uh, making sure we reinforce one another in the Word, uh, particularly in the day and age that we're living in right now. First Peter chapter 1, remain seated if you don't mind. Pick up in verse number 3. I'm going to read down through about verse number 8, and then we'll pray and jump right in. First Peter chapter 1, look down verse number 3. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I'm thankful, by the way, tonight he took such great detail to remind us of what's waiting on us. Keep reading what the Bible says here. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Pay close attention to verse 7 and 8. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let's stop there and pray together. Father God, thank you tonight, Lord, for the privilege to be back in your house. Thank you, Father, that we can look forward to what you desire to do. Father, I pray tonight that we would all, even now, surrender our hearts, surrender our will over, Lord, to what you desire to do in our life. Lord, I pray that we would be open and ready to be one of those works, Lord, if you should so desire to, uh, Lord, draw us closer to you tonight, or Lord, maybe there's some repentance that needs to take place, or Lord, maybe there's one lost needing to be saved, or even one called to the mission field. Father, whatever your will is for our life tonight, help us be open and available to it, and I thank you for what you're going to do, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking on the way up here this afternoon, you know, the Word of God is always, always relevant. Uh, Oftentimes in today's society, we try to make it more relevant, but the truth is the Word of God has always been relevant. No matter what time, uh, what era, uh, what phase of life or history we're going through, the Word of God has always been relevant. But as times are changing, and particularly the last year, uh, oh, how we have seen an exponential change in the world we've been living in. Uh, I mean, even my daughter, she's only 14 years old, but at 14 years old, she's been able to see the tremendous shift uh, in our mindset of a society we're living in uh, in these last few months and even the last year that we've been going through all of these trials. But as I get older and as times continue to change and to become more spiritually oppressive, the more I find the Word of God is particularly relevant for the times that we're we're living in right now. Uh, I think it's a lot like the case as we get older. Uh, I don't consider myself old by any means. 41 is not old. Amen? Uh, I'm middle-aged, if you want to put it that way, but I'm not old whatsoever. But the older I get, the more I realize how much my parents had figured out. Have we all figured that out? Are some of you still unrelenting in your pride? As we get older, we realize our parents had more figured out than we realized. And we realized that a lot of what they were passing along to us, that even though at the time it didn't seem to make sense, as we get older, it makes a lot more sense. And that's where the Word of God is. As times continue to change and things become more and more immoral and anti-God, the more we see the relevancy of the Word of God in our life. Now, in 1 Peter, we're reading something that's been a tremendous encouragement uh, to me personally lately. He's writing both encouraging 
teaching and challenging these new Christians to persevere in their faith. Now, 1 Peter almost has uh, kind of a marching orders feel. As you read 1 Peter, you can tell he's giving them their marching orders of who they should be and how they should live and how they're going to stay in the fight and keep their commitment to Christ. Look down, if you will, to verse number 3. The Bible says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. And he goes on to speak about the inheritance. What is he doing? He's encouraging them. Hey, we've got something to look forward to. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that what we have to look forward to is not in this world because it seems like everything in this world and this life is slowly fading away? He says, I want you to know and understand what you're looking forward to. We have a lively hope. Verse number four, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. What is he saying? He says, hey, we're working towards something that we cannot lose. Man, the last year we've lost a lot of things, haven't we? Uh, we've lost confidence. Listen, we've lost peace of mind. We've lost low gas prices. I mean, we've lost a lot of things in the last 12 months. But aren't you glad that the things that we of the people of God hopefully have set our affections on are things that cannot be taken away from us? Notice the language. Incorruptible, undefiled, it fadeth not away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. And when God reserves something for you, I assure you it's going to be there when you get there. You just make sure you're getting there, all right? And I assure you God's promises will be true. But notice the context, what he gives us here. You look down. The Bible says we're kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now watch verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now notice Paul, uh, Peter is not biting his tongue here. He's encouraging them. We have something to work forward to, something to look forward to. It's going to be waiting for us when we get there. But notice he says that maybe for now, for this season, if need be, we may be in some heaviness through manifold temptations. Let me tell you what Peter's doing here. Peter is reinforcing their resolve. You read through 1 Peter, you're going to see all of these different things that he does to reinforce their resolve to keep doing what they've been doing. Now, remember the context of who's writing this. Peter. Would you say that Peter has some experience in the need for resolve to be reinforced? Would you say that Peter has some personal experience in his life? I don't know. Maybe sometimes it's a little bit back in his past to where he faced the full brunt of persecution and what? Manifold temptations. The temptation maybe perhaps to deny Christ. And Peter's trying to reinforce them to be resolved in their faith because he knows as they seek to serve God and to be resolved in their faith, they are going to face manifold temptation. So what Peter is saying is this. He says, hey, you need to reinforce your faith. Know what you're working toward. Know what you're looking to. And then endure manifold temptations. What did Jesus tell Peter in Luke 22 when he told him Satan hath desired to have him, they may sift him as wheat? What did he tell him at the end of that verse? Thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Strengthen thy brethren. 
Peter knew what they were going to face in their walk, and now I believe Peter's strengthening them in their resolve. And as we read this, we can see a personal passion. We can almost hear it in Peter's uh, voice that reinforced their resolve. So tonight, I want to pass along four things to you right quick. And, uh, and, and I mean that. I want to pass something. I don't want to preach at you. I don't want to be mean to you. I don't want to get mad at you. I want to share with you something that the Lord shared with me as we seek to reinforce our resolve. Can I tell you, I've not gone through what Peter went through. I have not faced a temptation that Peter faced to deny Christ as Peter did. But I have a feeling that as time goes on and as our society continues to become more anti-God, we're going to need a reinforced resolve to fulfill the will of the Father in our life. Now, look, the time to reinforce is before you get to the foe, all right? The time to reinforce and buckle down. Look, it's like a seatbelt. You know what a seatbelt is? A seatbelt is a reinforcement. It keeps you in your seat while you're driving. The best time to put a seatbelt on and to get yourself reinforced is before you get a wreck. Write it down. Deep theology right there. Right? The best time to put your seatbelt on to get reinforced and to get braced for the attack that's coming or the collision that's coming is before the collision gets there. That's what Peter's doing. He's trying to reinforce their faith as they seek to serve God to fulfill his will for their life. And there's four things in this passage I want to show you right quick. Wasn't there four this morning? Yeah, my goodness gracious. Bonus points tonight. You must be living right. Getting bonus points. Oh, man. One this morning, one tonight. My wife told me, I didn't know you had four. She told me after church today, she said, I didn't know you had four. I didn't leave enough room for a number four. So I kind of snuck that one in there. I'll preach it to her again later. Now, look down, if you will, to verse number seven. The Bible says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Now notice, even though Peter's being enthusiastic and he's being encouraging to them, he's also letting them know right up front what they're going to be against. I think that's a good thing, right? He's letting them know, look, there's going to be, notice the words, a trial of your faith right out of the gate. He's letting them know why you better reinforce your faith. Look, you're not going to make it against the trials you're going to face and the will of God for your life on your parents' faith. It's not going to work. You're not going to make it on a bumper sticker faith, all right? You're not going to make it on a Sunday morning only faith. You are going to have to have a real faith that can stand up against what he says is coming and what he says is a trial of your faith. Now, what is a trial? He says your faith is going to face an opposition. And that's the first thing I want you to notice, why we should reinforce our faith. Number one, notice the opposition to our faith. The opposition to our faith. Now, notice the term trial. That word means testing or proving. Testing or proving. One of the greatest threats to your faith is going to be the hot intensity of a trial. Now, here's the good thing. That trial is going to either prove or disprove your faith. You know, it's easy to say we have faith in here. I mean, my goodness, we have a wonderful spirit in our church. God's blessing our church. We see people saved. The baptismal waters are moving. And man, look, it's the end thing when you're inside this building to say you have faith. Now, that's just a statement that you can make and really doesn't mean anything. When it really begins to show up and mean something, not only in your life, but the lives of those you're trying to win, is when your faith stands up against the trial that comes your way. Charles Spurgeon said this, he says, fiery trials make golden Christians. I really do believe that. I'm afraid we don't have a lot of golden Christians out there today. 
I think we've got a lot of aluminum foil Christians, and maybe we've got some, uh, some brass Christians, and maybe we've got some copper Christians, but we do not have a whole lot of golden Christians. Why? Because golden Christians come through the fire, all right? In order for us to be purified, where we come out, as Job says, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold, you've got to go through the fire. And the sad thing is, most of our faith is just a spoken faith. It's not a lived faith. And if you don't have a real faith that can stand up against the fire, I hate to tell you, you're never going to be one of those golden Christians. Someone said this one time, Christians are like tea bags. They always do their best work when they get in hot water. Isn't that the truth? People don't care what you have to say when things are going good. People don't put a whole lot of stock in your faith when, you know, the bank account is full and gas is at 99 cents a gallon and there's no opposition to your faith. No, they don't put a whole lot of stock in that. That's easy to have faith when things are going good. Where your faith really begins to stand out, watch this, and you prove something. Remember that word? What is a trial? A trial is there to prove something. If you want your faith and my faith, listen, to prove something, by the way, we do have something to prove. We do have something to prove. There's a world out there who's desperately seeking truth. Listen, I hate what we've gone through the past year, but if there's one good side effect that's come out of all the calamity we've experienced, it's caused men and women to seek truth. I mean, look, folks, it, it's like picking up. Have you ever walked up and down the side of the highway? Some of you probably have never lived. Walked up down the side of the highway and picked up dewberries or blackberries. Have you ever did that? Man, as a kid, we should do that. After Leslie and I got married... We go pick up the wild dewberries and the blackberries. You know, we're going to save all this money by making our own jelly. Yeah. We just go with the Welch's now. There's a lot of work in those little pints of jelly, isn't it? We're just walking down the road, picking all of this fruit that's everywhere. Listen, that's the way people are right now. They're seeking something real. They're seeking truth. And we as the people of God, we proclaim to have the truth. But here's the problem. The truth really begins to show up in our life when we're willing to go through the fire for it. That's when you prove that you actually believe what you say you believe. Because if you don't, you're not willing to stand up against the fire, then listen, please don't try to sell me what you have. Unfortunately, oftentimes what is the case is the opposition is proving. The opposition proves that we don't believe what we say we believe. Somebody gets mad at us in church. People get mad at me all the time. I try not to make people mad. I know you don't believe when I say that, but I really do. I don't try to make people mad. Folks get mad. They don't like, and man, somebody gave me a funny look at church or somebody looked at you the wrong way or didn't say, hey, to you wish you a happy birthday. Next thing you know, you've gotten out of church. That's aluminum foil faith right there. Didn't take a whole lot to get you out. And then all the neighbors that you've been witnessing to telling about how great your faith is, they're sitting back saying, yeah, that's what I thought. You see, you prove to them the wrong thing. And unfortunately, listen, men and women of God, we're proving that our faith is really just something that we sing about and we put on bumper stickers and bracelets, but it's not something worth living for. Why? Because we don't, we're not willing to go through the fire for it. You look up the word trial and you begin studying out the judicial meaning of it and you'll find in a civil case you have two sides. The plaintiff is the one who files the suit and the defendant is the one being sued. Now you think about a trial, all right? You've got this one person making this statement and this other person trying to prove it wrong. Is that not exactly what we're going through? 
We've made a statement about our faith, what we believe, what God can do, what faith can do. And hey, listen, no matter what's going on around us, listen, you keep your eyes on Christ and you can walk right through the storm. Can I tell you what's going to prove our case? When you walk through the storm. Peter, man, oh, Peter, he was kind of like me. He was good at talking about his faith. He was good at drawing the sword and cutting off somebody's ear. But buddy, when that fire got hot... And all of a sudden, they says, weren't you with him? Weren't you one of his men? And it started to get hot. Peter wilted. Why? His faith wasn't reinforced. Now, here's the sad thing. What did Jesus tell him? Peter, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Do you know what Christ was doing? He was trying to reinforce his resolve. Christ was saying, Peter, listen, he's coming for you. I know what you're going to face. Why? Because Christ had already faced him in the wilderness when he was tempted. He knew what Peter was about to go through as Satan desired to have him and sift him as wheat. Look, it's not grandma's sifter. You know, we have those little things, you just sit there and you turn. I don't know if we do that anymore, you know. I was cooking something the other day and it said sift the flour. I just stirred it with a fork, you know. That was good enough for me. It looked sifted for me. You know, we had those little sifters. No, in the Bible they would stack up all of that wheat and they would beat it with a winnowing fork and they would beat it and beat it and beat it trying to separate the husk away from the kernel. You see, that's what the devil does with us. He's going to beat you, and he's going to beat you, he's going to beat you, trying to shake loose what's good from you. That's what he's trying to do in your life. And Jesus says to Peter, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. He says, Peter, I know what's coming. He was trying to reinforce Peter's resolve. What did Peter say? I'm good. I'll handle it. You almost hear a little bit of regret in chapter 1, don't you? As Peter writes, and he has a passion about what he's saying. Why? Because he understood what they were about to face in their walk with God. There's a reason, reason Romans 12, 2, the Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove. Prove. I hear Christians say that all the time. I've got nothing to prove. I beg to differ. Our faith is on trial. And the opposition or our faith is going to win. And it's time some of God's people reinforce our resolve enough that we overcome, listen, the opposition, rather than the opposition overcome us. The best selling point is longevity. Look, if you want people to believe in what you've got, hang around a little while. Go through something every once in a while. Live through a trial every once in a while. Why? Why? Because there's an opposition to our faith. Galatians 6, 4, but let every man prove his own work. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. I think we do have something to prove. There's a world who's looking. Our faith is on trial. And the verdict is going to be decided, listen, by whether or not we can outlast the opposition. We see this summed up in Titus 1, 9. Why, why, why? Titus 1, 9, the Bible says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. What's going to convince them? Shallow doctrine? Weak doctrine? Sunday morning doctrine? Tinfoil doctrine? No. The Bible says that we may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. I don't like opposition. I don't like it when people don't like me. I don't like it when people get mad at me. I I promise you, ask my wife, it grieves me when I make you mad. So please, try not to get mad at me too often, all right? Just enough to keep me honest, but you don't have to do it as often as as some of you do. 
Opposition, even though I don't like it, provides a wonderful opportunity to prove what I believe. Opposition. You're gonna find out whether you truly believe what you say you believe, and you're gonna prove that through the opposition to our faith. So that's number one. Keep reading verse number seven. The Bible says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, first we see why we need to reinforce our resolve. But now he shows us how, and he shows us how in verse number seven, by making a comparison. Notice he shows us the outcome to being resolved in our faith, and he compares to the outcome of that to gold that perishes. Now, this is very important. What do people work for in this life? Most of the time, the things we're working for and spending our time, our energy, our effort, and yes, even our resolve, we're working for things that are going to perish. If gold was available, and I don't know if it's out there, you can buy it readily or available or not. I'm not very experienced in it. But if gold was out there, man, in order to have some, you're going to have to work for it to get it, to have it, to keep it. I mean, just a little bit of gold costs a lot of money. Those of you folks who got gold, right? Now I know who to come and borrow money from. Everybody's shaking your head. You're busted. Even just a little bit of gold, man, you have to work hard for it. You have to be faithful. You got to be resolved in order to get it. But the Bible says that's going to perish. You see, the second point of reinforcing our resolve challenges us by this. Number two, notice the outcome of our faith. He says, understand, you ought to be resolved to stay in the fight, endure some temptation, go through some trials, go through a little bit of fire. Why? Because the outcome of that, listen, far outweighs the outcome of gold that's going to perish. What is he saying? Peter is comparing the pursuit of earthly riches to eternal riches. And he says, look, earthly riches can't compare to what you're working for. And by the way, what you're working for on the other side, you cannot lose. That's pretty good. So how do you know that? Go back to verse 4. Undefiled, faith is not a way reserved in heaven for you. I know I quote it all the time, but boy, I love the quote by Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Peter says, if you're going to be resolved about something, be resolved about an eternal outcome. That's why you set your affections or your heart and desires on things above Peter says, don't work and strive to have something that's going to dissolve that you're going to leave behind. Now, how often do we quit just like Peter quit? How often do we quit on Christ for reasons that are going to remain here when we're gone? Think about it. Peer pressure. Are you one of them? Are you one of those holy rollers? You go to church twice a week, what's the matter with you? You know, Easter and Christmas only happen twice a year. What are you doing at church in March? What you do at church in July? Well, I've got my affection set on things above. I want something eternal. And all of a sudden, that peer pressure starts coming along. You're thinking, man, you know what? Maybe I am a weirdo. We are peculiar people. Some of you are more peculiar than others, but we are peculiar people. We're not supposed to fit in. We're not of this world. We're not supposed to love this world, neither the things that are in this world. Why? Because you're going to have to leave them behind. You know, every time I've gone on vacation, I've enjoyed vacation. But I have never built any property, built a house, built a home on the vacation site that I was at. I've never gone to Disney World. Of course, they'd kick me out, but never gone to Disney World. So, you know what? I love this little flower bed. I think I'm just going to build me a little vacation rental right here in the flower bed at Disney World. I would if I could, but I couldn't afford it probably. 
I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I have to leave there and come home. That's just a vacation spot. That's not my home. Some of you love going to the mountains. Oh, I'm sure you'd love to have a home in the mountains. But you go there and you visit, but you don't put down any roots there. Why? Because it's temporary. You're going to go home and put down roots where you're going to dwell. And that's the way God would have us do spiritually. This is not home. This is not home. He says, look, you ought to have as much resolve or more resolve about eternal dividends than earthly dividends. 1 Corinthians 9.25, listen close. Paul says, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I think I've told you the story before that Nero, when they would have those races, chariot races and Olympic games there, Nero at times would take that, that wreath, that holly wreath that they would put on the head of those that would win those races and uh, that, would, that would come in first place. And Nero would take that, that, uh, that holly crown and he would crown himself with it. Some commentators even believe the Apostle Paul was taking a, a shot at him when he wrote that in 1 Corinthians 9. That's kind of like Paul to do something like that. Paul says, they strive for the mastery. What does that mean? Resolve. Uh, the Olympics, I think the 2020 Olympics are about to happen uh, this summer. You know, I'm not sure how that works in 2021, but I think the 2020 Olympics are about to happen. And those people work all their life, years and years and years, for that one moment on the world stage to compete, to stand on one of those three spots in the podium. To get a, a really nice necklace, maybe some endorsement deals, but every bit of that that they're working so hard for, they can't take it with them. I told you the story before about Hollis Conway, a friend of mine, silver medalist, I think in the 92 Olympics. Uh, is like a, he's like an eighth of an inch off of setting the world record on the high jump. And I asked Hollis one day, you know, it was one of the first Olympians I'd ever met. I said, Hollis, I said, what do you, you know, where's your medal? I'm thinking that metal's probably in a glass case. If it was at my house, Brother Nate, he'd be in a glass case on a turntable in the middle of our living room. I'd have spotlights on. I didn't care if he was even bronze. I'd just be glad to get one, you know, and spinning there in front of everybody. He says, I think it's in my cup holder. I'm thinking cup holder must be a fancy word for like trophy case. You know, all these people who win all these medals, they just call the trophy case their cup holder. I says, what do you mean a cup holder? He says, like, in my car, the holder for my cups. I said, your silver medal? Is it a cup holder? He says, yeah, you know, I went there for gold, so silver just couldn't satisfy. And I show kids from time to time motivational speech, but I think it's in my cup holder right now. He's a good friend of mine. He's a, he's a preacher now, preaches to young people. I thought, how many years did he work for that? How much time did he devote to that? Time in the gym, running around the track and lifting weights and denying himself Oreos and Twinkies and all the wonderful splendors of life? Good night, and it sits in his cup holder? You know what happened? His priorities got rearranged. He began to realize, you know what? I, I can't take that thing with me. I'm going to start setting my affection on things above. There's an outcome to our faith. Listen, what ought to strengthen your resolve to stay in the fight, to go through the fire, is the outcome of our faith. What is the outcome? It's at the end of verse 7. The Bible says you might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There's something coming, the outcome of our faith. There's an old song. It says, look what I traded for a mansion. Wednesday night we preached on regret. Can I tell you one thing you'll not regret? Less here and more there. 
You're not going to regret giving more time to God. I've never, listen, I've been by the bedside of a lot of people who are just about to leave this world. I've never sat by one and says, you know what? I wasted a lot of time serving God. Never met one. Never met one. Met a lot of people who wish they'd have served God more. But you know why we don't? We don't consider the outcome of our faith. Job says, when you have tried me, I shall come forth. What kept Job going and resolved? The outcome. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth. That's a future tense. Job was thinking about the outcome. What did Paul say? So that I might finish my course with joy. Finish. He's talking about a future event. Paul says, I want to finish my course with joy. There's an outcome to faith, but you'll never see the outcome if you don't endure just a little bit of this fire and the opposition that are coming our way. Passed by Dave Ramsey's place the other day. We were up in Nashville, passed by his big office complex there. And I thought about something that I heard him say years ago as a teenager. And I really wish I'd have started saving money like he said when I was a teenager, but I didn't. Lesson learned. And Dave Ramsey used to say, live like no one else today so that you can live like no one else tomorrow. All right? Do you get that? Here's what he means. Look, today you live on the cheap, you live on the poor. Beans and rice, rice and beans. But you hear him say that all the time. I think he could have added a third one, Brother Michael, ramen noodles. Because, hey, they're just as cheap as beans and rice and rice and beans. He says, live like no one else today. Beans and rice, rice and beans, live on the cheap. Buy used cars. Listen, you don't have to have new everything. Just live on the cheap. Do you know why? He says, so that you can live like no one else later. You got to decide when you want your trophies. Live like no one else today so that you can live like no one else tomorrow. I told my daughter the other day, I said, Miley, don't be afraid to lose temporary as long as you win permanently. Sometimes as a Christian, you're going to lose in this life. Sometimes you're going to be looked down upon for surrendering your life, surrendering your time, your will, and your way to serve God. Don't be afraid to lose here, but you don't want to lose there. As we preached on Wednesday night, you don't want to have that kind of regret. So number two, the outcome of our faith, let's hurry. The points get shorter as we go along. Verse number seven, he gives us with the greatest motivation, I think, to remain resolved and to reinforce our resolve. You notice when he said in verse number seven, he's talking about this eternal dividends. He's talking about an eternal possession that we're going to have. But even greater, watch, than this eternal possession that we have by being resolved. Notice the Bible says... Than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I love. The third way to reinforce your resolve is the objective of our faith. The objective of our faith. What is the objective? Peter reminds them they're going to see Jesus. They're going to see Jesus. Now, look, I want eternal dividends. I really do. I want some crowns to lay at the feet of Jesus. Oh, oh, I do. I mean, look, what am I going to do with a crown? Cover up my bald spot? I'm not going to have one in heaven. I'm probably going to have the prettiest set of hair. Listen, all you folks who got hair now, he that's last will be first and first will be last. I'm just saying, I'm going to have me a nice set of hair and you're going to be bald-headed. It's going to be all right. I won't pick on you because I have a glorified body and I don't think we can pick on people with a glorified body. What am I going to do with a crown? Oh, listen, I don't want to wear it around. That would be prideful. No, I want to lay it at the feet of Jesus. And Peter says, watch this, you ought to be resolved and reinforce your resolve to go through a little bit of fire. Why? Because there's an objective to our faith, and the objective is to please Christ. He says that at the appearing of Christ, that our labor, our endurance, our resolve might be found under praise, honor, and glory. 
Paul put it this way as he prepares to leave this scene and encourage the heart of Timothy the way Peter is encouraging these Christians here. 2 Timothy 2.4, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. He says, hey, don't get too wrapped up down here. We got to live here. We have to work here, raise our kids here. We have to build a home. Okay, we get all that. God's not denying us all of that. We ought to provide for our families. But he says, don't get too tangled up down here. Why? He says, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You ever think about the fact that all those words in red that we read about Jesus, those accounts about Jesus, that one day we're going to see Jesus? We're going to see him. I'll be honest with you. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. And it's hard for my brain to even wrap around that, that I'm going to see Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the excitement begins to fade a little bit when I realize I'm going to see Jesus. I love preaching about him. I enjoy preaching. I love telling people about him. I love sharing with people who think there's no hope. They're kind of those dry bones. They think they're hopeless and there's no chance for them. Talk about the God that we served. Oh, that he came to seek and save that which was lost. I enjoy telling people about him. But oh, one day I'm going to stand before him. And suddenly I get a chill down my spine knowing that there have been so many times I have not had the resolve that I should have. And knowing I'm going to see him face to face it kind of reinforces me that from now on, you know what? Not giving up, not giving in, because I'm going to look him face to face. Now, I want you to think about the context of the end of verse number seven. Who is writing? Who is writing? It's Peter. Does Peter have experience looking in the eyes of a disappointed Savior? Yes, he does. Why do you think Peter's saying, stick in the fight, go through the fire, work hard? Why does he, watch this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, during heaviness, through manifold temptation. He says, look, if need be, go through it. If need be, endure it. If need be, survive it. If need be, get hurt. No matter what, ta- what it takes, stay in the fight. Why? Because I know what it's like to look in the eyes of a disappointed Savior. Peter says, you don't want to do that. What did he do when he looked in the eyes of Christ after he denied him three times? What did he do? He went out and he wept bitterly. He was grieved at his heart because he had denied the very Son of God. Oh, how that must have grieved him to make eye contact with Christ and know that I let him down. I didn't do what I needed to do when he needed me to do it. He says, that hurts. So what motivates his resolve to reinforce their resolve is the objective of our faith, which is to please Christ. The Bible says, be found in praise and glory appearing at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Real quickly, Galatians 1, the Bible says, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? Question mark. For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Notice it's one or the other. We have to decide who we're going to please. I told somebody the other day, I wish I could please everybody in this room at the same time. But that's virtually impossible. I wish I could say things everybody liked, make everybody happy, pat you on the back and way out the door. Thank you so much for preaching truth. That's usually not what happens. Man, I look out. Sometimes you're not smiling like some of you are not smiling right now. Shame on you. 
look out and boy, folks aren't smiling. I just want to kneel down and preach like this the rest of the service. I'd love to be able to do that. You know that old song, Hide Me Behind the Cross? I have no problem. We can put a big cross right here and let me preach to the back of it where I don't have to look at faces sometimes. That's why, that's why God told Jeremiah, be not afraid of their faces. Sometimes you're scary, especially when you don't like what the preaching is. But all of a sudden you have a decision to make. Do I please God or do I please man? You say, well, if you choose to please God, the crowd might get thin. I know, that stings a little bit. You get scary a little bit. But you know what? As scary as it is sometimes looking in your eyes and other people's eyes, I keep thinking about the appearing of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to look in his eyes. And all of a sudden, my resolve gets a little bit reinforced. I'm just going to have to grunt it out. And I'm just going to have to cry like a baby when I get home because you hurt my feelings. My wife's the only person who sees that. But can I tell you something? The fact that knowing I'm going to look in his eyes reinforces to go through the fire a little bit more, to endure a season of heaviness through manifold temptations. But Nate and I were talking the other day, and I'll give you this real quick. Both of us grew up with our dads, very much influential in our life. Dads, I think you ought to be, I know you ought to be influential in your children's life. Don't be absent, dad. Don't be absent. And my dad was influential in my life, taught me how to play ball, taught me how to hunt, how to fish and all that, but taught me how to walk with God, taught me how to read my Bible. And Brother Nate and I were talking the other day, and I said, I'm 41 years old, and there's very few people that I enjoy praise more from than my dad. I like it when dad says, you did all right this morning. You know, dad says, I'll build something. Say, boy, you did a good job, man. It looks good, you know. Everybody else can walk in the room, and I'm waiting to watch my dad's face on something I built. Why? Because he taught me how to build. I want him to go, yeah, that's my boy. Still feels good, doesn't it? Brother Nate, you know, he's 45 years old. He's still to this day. No, he's not. <laughs> Brother Nate, still to this day, he told me the other day, he says, man, my dad's opinion of me means so much. I said, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But even more than our dad's, should be our father. That one day I'm going to stand in front of him. And I know it's, we use it as a cliche oftentimes, but I really just want to hear well done. I do. You know, I, I just want to hear well done. You know, you weren't perfect. You made mistakes. You goofed up. You made some people mad when you didn't have to. All right, I'll admit it. All right. But I just want to hear well done. That I know that I pleased my Savior. I know I'm going to have regrets. But if I'll just reinforce my resolve a little bit, and get my objective of my faith back on Christ, I assure you that our faith will prove to the world that we honestly do believe what we say we believe. So number three, Peter's showing us here, the objective of our faith is to please God. And finally, verse eight, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though ye, ye, now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, Paul's already told us about the rewards in the next slide, the rewards of enduring that trial that we might come forth as gold. He's told us about pleasing our Savior. Those are all things to come. But notice the Bible says in the middle of this verse, the Bible says we don't see him yet, but we believe. Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The final thing I want you to notice is the overflow of our faith. This is for this life. This is for this life. 
You know, if you reinforce your faith enough and believe what you say you believe enough, after a while, it's going to overflow out of the abundance of your heart and your face is going to speak it. All right? The Bible says out of the abundance, Matthew 12, 34, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. But I'm going to tell you, that joy begins to overflow. What does it say? A joy unspeakable and full of glory. Think about this. If our faith is what it needs to be, joy will overshadow our journey. If our faith is what it needs to be, you say, well, the journey's rough and the journey's tough and people don't like me and they get mad. And man, I'm trying to live for God at the workplace. I'm trying to live for God at school. I'm trying to live for God around my family, my neighbors, and it's just tough sometimes. Yeah, the journey's going to be tough. That's why he said it's a seasonal thing of manifold temptations. But man, if your faith is what it ought to be, if it's real, a faith that's been tried. Can I tell you what's going to happen? It's going to be so real in here that it bubbles over on the outside to a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Simply put, you ought to believe it enough that it shows. You ought to believe it enough that it shows. Think about it. You ought to believe it so much, the world's falling apart. I mean, look, everything's going down the two. You ought to believe it so much that he is the health of your countenance. Does it mean you're cheering that everything's falling apart? But you've got something real. You've got a joy unspeakable, full of glory. That's the overflow of faith. When you believe it so much, look, there's no circumstance that can rob that from you. So tonight, why should you reinforce your faith? Number one, you've got something to prove. You've got something to prove. Either the opposition is going to prove greater or our faith is going to prove greater. Number two, you have something to prepare for. You have something to prepare for. You want to lay something at the feet of Jesus. Number three, you have someone to please. And number four, you have something to possess, and that's joy. You say, well, I wish I I could be happy like some of those other Christians are. And we make the mistake of thinking they're happy because of money or possessions. No. They're happy because they really believe what they say they believe. You believe this life's going down and the next one's headed this way, you believe it enough, it'll start to show up in your life. Folks, I don't want to scare you like Paul, uh, like Peter. He didn't want to scare them. He just wanted to reinforce them. Times may get tough, but our faith is that victory that overcomes the world. Amen? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stop there. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.